Last week, when we looked at the opening words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, we discovered how Jesus turns the expectations of this world upside down. If you have opened the passage that Eva read for us a moment ago, that would be very helpful for you. To a world that says happy are those who have everything, who have wealth and power and the associated benefits, Jesus says happy are those who have nothing. Happy are the poor, the mourning, the meek, and the disenfranchised. He says that they are happy because they're every bit as likely, perhaps more likely than those who have everything to find the real and the deepest kind of happiness that is life in the kingdom of God. Jesus said, happy are the poor. And I left you last week pondering whether you believed him or not. I'm not sure if you've given that any thought since we we thought about it last week but it's quite a challenge to our worldview the way in which we imagine life works this morning we're going to take a look at the last four of the beatitudes and because this is a communion service i'm going to be very quick in what i have to say about these last four i think there's a bit of a change of direction in this second half of the beatitudes the first four talked about a people's circumstances the state they found themselves in and how it felt, those who were poor and oppressed, mourning while they longed for justice. In the second set of four Beatitudes, I think Jesus is talking about people who are living a particular type of lifestyle, those who show mercy to others, who keep their hearts pure, who try to make peace, and whose lives, therefore, attract persecution. Although these people are normally looked down on and ridiculed, the truth, says Jesus, is that they're blessed, particularly if their suffering is as a result of turning their lives around to follow him. Let's look very quickly at these four Beatitudes this morning. Look at verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Let me ask you this. Have you ever tried to be merciful? Have you ever given a substantial amount to a beggar in the street? Not just the loose change that you were happy to be rid of out of your pocket anyway, but a substantial amount. Have you ever excused someone a large debt that they owe you? Have you ever forgiven somebody when it's clear to you and to everyone else that they are entirely in the wrong? It's not easy. It's not easy to show mercy. As I tried to work out why that's the case, I discovered that for me, the reason I find it difficult to show mercy is that I don't want to be taken advantage of. Whenever people see us being merciful to someone else, they they might be inclined to think, you know, can he not see that he's been taken for a ride? He's such a soft touch. Or they might say, look at her. Does she not see that they're just pulling the wool over her eyes? The truth is, folks, that it's much, much easier to be detached, to keep our distance from people who require mercy and help 
and to make sure that nobody ever gets the best of us or pulls the wool over our eyes. Jesus says that God gives his mercy to those who show mercy to others. Now that's a point that Jesus made very, very forcefully in the parable of the debts. I don't know if you remember this parable. There was a master and he had forgiven one of his servants a debt for a million pounds. The master was then appalled when he discovered that that servant was chasing another man for a tenor. Jesus' point when he told that parable was simply this. When God has forgiven us everything, an infinity of forgiveness, he too is appalled when we don't extend forgiveness to other people. Blessed are the merciful, says Jesus, for they will be shown mercy. Look at verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Whenever Jesus is talking about the heart here, he's talking about the very core of a person, the, the very center of who they are, their inner life. He's talking about our secret thoughts and our deepest motivations. Jesus says the people who are deeply happy are those who are clean, even on the inside. Now, let me tell you, this is not what our world thinks. You only have to watch a, a wee bit of reality TV or listen to a few radio phone-ins, and soon you'll discover that our world looks down on people who hope to be pure, people who get too caught up with being good. Anyone who believes these days in, in real moral standards is regarded as Victorian, as prudish, this is a world where we don't need to be pure. So long as we can keep our noses clean and keep up appearances, nobody's actually very interested in being a good and pure person. It's in this world where purity isn't really valued that Jesus gives us one powerful motive for why we ought to be pure. We can see God. If you're somebody who's here this morning and you desire to live any sort of a life with God, then Jesus says you must pursue purity. This is just a simple rule of spiritual life. That while we allow impurity in our lives, while we allow, allow our hearts and our minds to be full of trash and junk, we will not know the closeness of God. Friends, I think people mock the pure every bit as much as they feel sorry for the merciful. They think the pure are narrow-minded, that they're old-fashioned. They might even pity them. What does Jesus say? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Look at verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. As I read that seventh beatitude, I can't help but wonder whether Jesus would say that if he lived in Belfast. 
in the autumn of 2005. Is Jesus saying that in a, in a lovely, serene climate where actually his words don't, don't, don't mean all that much? Would Jesus be willing to say that in the communities that blew up in violence here two or three weeks ago? Well, I'm convinced that he would have. The reason I'm convinced of that is because Jesus spoke these words in a situation every bit as volatile and politically complex as ours. You see, in Jesus' day, there were paramilitaries and freedom fighters too. In Jesus' day, it was the zealots. These folks were ultra-patriotic Jews. They weren't ever going to pay taxes for Rome. They weren't ever going to submit to Roman authority. And they believed that anyone who did was committing treason against Israel. They were going to fight Rome to the death. As far as they were concerned, every Roman soldier and every Roman citizen was a legitimate target. And what's more, the zealots were sure that God was on their side. So sure that they marked under banners that said, for God and Israel. So sure that they called themselves sons of God. That's the context in which Jesus spoke that beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. The zealots aren't children of God after all, says Jesus. No, it's the peacemakers. It's those who bend over backwards to keep fragile communities together. They are the co-workers with God. They're the ones in whom the family likeness of God their Father is visible. They are the children of God. I've already suggested that I think merciful people and the pure in heart are people who are looked down on in our society. I'm absolutely convinced that that's the case with peacemakers. It's no easy thing to be involved in any reconciliation work. You ask anyone who has been involved in any significant way in bringing our two communities in Ulster together, and they will tell you. You end up being despised by your own community. You're regarded as a, a person uh, who betrays their own heritage just because you'll consider compromise. You become a person who has no principles because you're willing to hear another point of view. People who try to bring peace are seen as turncoats just because they'll recognize the rights and the integrity of another community. Blessed are the peacemakers, says Jesus. For they will be called children of God. And the last of, of the Beatitudes there, verse 10 Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, some of these sayings of Jesus, on first reading, appear almost crazy. Blessed are the persecuted. Jesus is saying, you're happy when people are giving you a hard time. Now, doesn't that fly in the face of everything that we think about life and of everything that we, we try to do as we lead our lives? 
understand verse 10, we need to read verses 11 and 12. Verse 11, in a way, just restates verse 10. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil falsely against you on my account. In verse 12, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so men persecuted the prophets who were before you. Remember what's going on here with this teaching and with these Beatitudes. Jesus, the Son of God, the one who has come to save us from sin and death, is now teaching his followers how to live. To these fledgling followers, to these baby disciples, he says, if you live the life that I call you to, if you're merciful, if you're pure in heart, if you give yourself to making peace, you will suffer for it. Your lives will attract ridicule, insult, and maybe even physical attack. At first life, says Jesus, that might not appear for the recipe of a good and a happy life, but let me assure you, if you live this life, you will be blessed. If you suffer for my sake, because you're my follower, you'll be deeply and profoundly happy. Why? Well, Jesus gives us a couple of reasons. He says you'll be happy because you'll be keeping company with the people of God who have gone before, the prophets and those before you. You'll be happy because you have the rewards of heaven secure ready to look forward to. You'll be happy because you're living the life that I've called you to. As I finish here this morning, I want to take a couple of minutes just to think with you about how these Beatitudes, taken as a group now, speak to us as a congregation here at Kirkpatrick Memorial in autumn 2005. Here in the opening lines of his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is giving us really a kingdom manifesto. Jesus is telling us what life will be like in the kingdom of God for his followers. And the first thing he does is he tells us that God's kingdom is open to all. In particular, he wants us to know that it's open to the people who normally think of themselves as left out. It's open to the poor, the mourning, the meek, and the oppressed. Nobody, says Jesus, nobody is outside of the reach of the love of God. Nobody will be without an invitation to the kingdom of God. And as we've said here this morning, entering into this kingdom means taking up a calling to a particular kind of life. It means following in Jesus' footsteps, being merciful, caring about the purity of your heart, being given to making peace, entering into a life that will be unpopular by any standards of the world around us. It's a life in which we may be misunderstood, ridiculed, and persecuted, but, but that's not all. 
It's a life in which we will be blessed. A life in which we will be blessed. I want to leave you this morning with another question. And I want to ask you this. Can you imagine entering into a life that Jesus Christ, the very author and creator of your life, says will be blessed, deeply and profoundly happy? Can you imagine living that kind of a life? That the person who made you, who designed you, who knows what makes you tick, holds up and says, this is the life. This is the good and blessed life. Can you imagine entering into just that kind of way of life? Friends, this is what we were made for. To live lives in company with Jesus Christ. This life is open to all who do what we we thought about in the first sermon, what Jesus teaches in Matthew 4. It's open to all of us who will turn our lives around and will follow him. Let us pray.